Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. It's a podcast, for sure. What antiques are we talking about this week? I wanted to talk a little bit about boudoir dolls. Oh, hell yes. Sing me a song of boudoir dolls, Dee. So oftentimes when people are looking at dolls, collecting dolls, in a place where dolls exist, there can be a little bit of confusion about particularly large dolls in excessively fancy dress, and those are not any kind of child's play doll. To ironically quote the Museum of Play, which had possibly the best paragraph explaining them, in the early 20th century, fashionable women decorated their bedrooms, parlors, and living rooms with large, elaborately dressed dolls called boudoir, bed, flapper, smoker, sofa, salon, and parlor dolls. These long-limbed figures often sported lavish outfits with laces, ribbons, and ruffles. Exotic and a bit campy, most boudoir dolls wore heavy makeup and wore a sultry look as if they intended to steal a boyfriend or cause trouble at a party. I'm on board. So yeah, these are dolls that, not unlike ball-jointed dolls, kind of just existed to be dressed up and decorate a room. So, supposedly, the concept of dolls for adult women was popularized by Paul Poiret, a Parisian coutelier. He suggested in a book that all fashionable women should carry dolls. For some reason, he didn't elaborate too much on that. He just said, at the very least, ladies of social standing should have fashionably dressed dolls gracing their boudoirs or as ornaments in their drawing rooms. Now, while he made this statement prior to World War I, the first dolls that were commercially available that would be what we consider a boudoir doll debuted in France after the recovery process, which is why some boudoir dolls are actually called French dolls, because that is where they made their premiere, although they were made all over Europe and later America. As we've suggested, the dolls were mostly bedroom decorations, sometimes for older teenagers, but also adult ladies, and were characterized by painted composite heads, usually, although sometimes these would be compacted felt. And later, when they would be dying out sort of as an art form, they would be made out of cardboard and like paper mache. They're characterized by long, thin bodies, long extremities, and decidedly adult features, such as bosoms, wasp waists, and hips. You may have heard of a boudoir doll before from the more popular podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me. Episode number 381, Face-to-Face, Griffin's Big Brave Stunt, wherein the Haunted Doll Watch segment featured Jesse, a haunted boudoir doll with, and I quote, real-looking breasts. Yes. <laughs> She's also about four feet tall. <laughs> yep, that would be a not uncommon size for a boudoir doll. She's basically a My Size Barbie? Yeah, like a My Size Barbie or like the My Buddy dolls. Are there? Okay. Forgive me, it's been a while since our Baldry doll episode. Would that be a normal size for a ball-jointed doll? Four feet is... I'm going to go ahead and actually just call that a normal size at this point. All right. So good to see the tradition of boudoir dolls continues to this day, as you said. Yeah. I mean, yeah, four feet tall is a standard size you could order a doll in. It's not crazy anymore. Like, I mean, it should be because that is a toddler. That's a lot of resin. Not even a toddler. That's like a child that's going to like third grade. The boudoir dolls have an advantage in at least they were light, generally made of stuffed articles. It's a big ass doll. One of the reasons why boudoir dolls were considered very fancy, as Poiret had suggested, it is kind of just a flex. Wealthy women would bring dolls to fittings and seamstresses and have little tiny matching outfits made for their doll as a sort of like miniature wardrobe show off. And if you were the crafty type, which lots of women were, especially wealthy women, 
The doll could be fashioned with elaborate costumes that would show off your needleworking and sewing abilities. After the dolls took off in America, McCall's and other pattern companies would actually start making patterns just for boudoir dolls and would later be sold without clothing because they were being sold specifically to be clothed at your whim. You're seeing the comparison of BJDs now, yeah? (laughs) I am, yeah. But don't get it twisted. These dolls didn't just sit around looking pretty. They were occasionally brought to balls and other social events and danced with. Okay, so again, a lot like a BJD, because I feel like people do get freaky at those conventions. Yeah, there's, you know, there are a lot of social conventions for ball-jointed dolls that involve a lot of dancing, tea parties, so on and so forth. So we just never stopped. Humanity loves a doll, is the thing. Sometimes they would also be companions in the car when motoring became the fashion. Oh my god, they were still doing- Okay, so like, boudoir dolls overlap with the automotive? Yes, they do. So boudoir dolls actually take off in about 1912. No. Yeah. So like, big windows took off when like, we got really good at making glass. So like, not really until the mid-19th century. Did we only get really good at making large ceramic dolls at the turn of the 20th century? Is that what happened? No, what people think happened, it's nebulous as to what societal thing kind of pushed the popularity of boudoir dolls. Most people kind of stand at the edge of they were a way to break out of extremely rigid social norms at a time where a woman's place was being redefined very slowly. Okay. And World War I had just happened, and it was a way to sort of recapture youth and live in a comfortable space after a traumatic event. I see. I mention women's station in life being associated with these dolls because the dolls sort of took on a life of their own, and a very popular subset of a boudoir doll is one that sort of it kind of, it was kind of edgy, edgy dolls. Edgelord dolls. Some of the dolls would be street ruffians, women of the night, the French concept of la garçonne, or a woman that dresses in men's clothes. Okay, so you're a young adult woman in the early 20th century, and you have a four foot tall doll that is either dressed as a street urchin, a sex worker, or a butch lesbian. <laughs> To decorate your bedroom and also accompany you to parties? Yep, so you can see why these are often associated with and were at their absolute most popular around the Roaring Twenties in the flapper movement. This sounds dope, can we bring this back? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've got a doll that I'm working on that I would like to be La Garçonne. (laughs) One of the other edgy things that the dolls could do, and some of the most popular ones, were dolls that were... (laughs) Eternally smoking cigarettes, and sometimes not cigarettes they were smoking. So you just have a doll that's puckered up and ready to go, as it were? No, no, I mean the wacky tobacco, the devil's lettuce. Appropriate for the 20s, the jazz cigarette. That's still smoking, D. That's... Okay. So when you say a doll is posed as if smoking, but maybe they're not smoking... My mine doesn't go to smoking, but a different substance. I said it weren't tobacco they were smoking. Okay, right, but like... Wacky tobacco. Okay. The devil's lettuce, I see, I see. So yeah, you could have a lady in a fancy dress with a heaving bosom, and she was just high as fuck, and that was a doll you could have. And maybe she was high and a butch lesbian. I mean, the two genders, am I right? (laughs) Listen, I I know a lot of people that have crossed both those genders simultaneously, so... (laughs) So yeah, in a way, they were kind of seen as a sort of projection for women to start living out their fantasies and later become influenced by. 
by saying, wait, I want to be like my doll. I'm going to go smoke a joint. And become a lesbian. Yeah, I'm going to cut my dress real short and date women. You know, it was a way of externalizing these desires that up until now hadn't been appropriate or even possible to express. So I see what you're getting at, but it's also very funny for me personally to imagine a woman like going through all the effort of like dressing her little doll up as a butch lesbian and giving it weed. And then just looking at it one day and having a revelation be like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, I could do this. Wait a second. Wait a second. I'm going to smoke weed. <laughs> Turns out these are all achievable things. Turns out these are achievable goals. I do love that these dolls are inspirational role models. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay. So is the bringing the doll to a party just kind of like, a way to test the waters with your social group, like, if they accept this butch joint smoking doll, then when I show up butch and joint smoking, they'll have to be cool with it, because they were cool with the doll. That is an element of it. Uh, even now, people use dolls to sort of test the waters of what certain social groups will find acceptable or unacceptable. Kind of see where your allies lie. Not to be very rude to doll collectors, especially not the doll collectors on this particular call, but I feel like there are social groups that would accept a lot of very different things up to and stopping at the doll. Well, then you know that, but then you would have known that from the get, so wouldn't matter how you dressed up your doll. <laughs> it is easier for a friend group to accept someone who is, for example, gay or very into weed than it is to accept a member of the friend group who brings a doll everywhere. Well, okay, but that's by today's standard. At the time, these things were hot, hot, white, hot. So everyone had one. It wouldn't be weird to have had just the doll. Testing the waters makes more sense because this was a fashion thing. Oh, okay. So this is everyone at your school already has a BJD. Yeah. And so you're just kind of like using the BJD as a litmus test. Yeah. This would be like if you woke up tomorrow and BJDs had replaced Yeezys as the hot new item. Oh my god, they'd be so much more affordable, though. They would be. But yeah, because of this reputation of being used as like these social litmus tests and these projections of ideal selves, the dolls sort of got a weird reputation. Slowly, it morphed into something you weren't supposed to see. The name probably had a lot to do with that. I mean, yeah. If this is the doll I specifically use to decorate the room I have sex in, bringing it to parties does get weird after a certain point socially. And this is a doll you've dressed in a risque fashion that you yourself maybe don't wear, and it hangs out in your bedroom. They start smoking. They start looking all sultry, wearing too much makeup. These dolls would slowly start to be associated with a certain type of lady. The kind of lady who brings a doll to a party? The kind of lady who'd bring a doll to a party. I don't know. She sounds like a good time. Well, that's the thing. One of the things that ended up propping up Boudoir Doll's popularity was its adoption by celebrities at the time. Ooh. Celebo dolls. Notably, Clara Bow and Rudolph Valentino the latter of which had 160 made specifically for him. I'm sorry, what? Yes, Rudolph Valentino had commissioned 160 boudoir dolls, and it had at least one of himself. Which he didn't commission, actually, because some of them were just made in the image of movie stars, which, again, not unlike dolls now. Huh. I read Rudolph Valentino had an insatiable lust for fashion dolls, and then I wonder that there are people who still claim that he was strictly a straight man. Listen, all right? <laughs> I have opinions on the Rudolph Valentino thing, and I think calling him straight is a massive disservice to the man. Oh, no. Joan Crawford also picked up the habit, too. Well, she picked up a lot of habits. <laughs> hey -oh. 
But as these things became sort of commercially fashionable, like you suggested, they kind of turned into discardable objects where instead of like in the early days, it would be a sort of model to have miniature fashions made for. You just buy a new one when fashion changed. Oh. This is in part also because of expanding abilities and manufacturing, but the dolls also just got made cheaper. Instead of having nice full composite slash composition legs and arms and heads, it might just be all cotton all over. Which is amazing because isn't the whole point of composition that it's cheap and easy? Yeah, but even cheaper and easier than that is making it all out of one cheap thing. I guess, yeah. Composition still takes work. You gotta shape it. Just glued cardboard, sort of like an even cheaper composition. Damn. You know, they'd be stuffed with straw or sawdust like a carnival toy until they eventually stopped being popular. Which, they would actually sort of remain popular well into the 40s. And they are actually experiencing a small niche resurgence in popularity, with some art doll makers taking on making boudoir dolls. How are the boudoir dolls of today meaningfully distinct from the ball-jointed dolls of today? It's mostly just that they follow the original construction of having a cloth body and composition, or sometimes now porcelain or resin limbs and head. It's all in the construction. So it's less a difference in function and almost strictly a difference in form? Exactly. Okay. These are meant to be sort of historically minded recreations. Oh. Because a lot of them look like, you know, they are dressed up as flappers, 1930s celebrities, that kind of thing. Now, as our reporter on the scene in the Baldrin to Doll community, how does the Baldrin to Doll community feel about the resurgence in boudoir dolls? Literally never seen anyone mention it. Oh. Which is strange because I see a lot of crossover, like with the Reborn, which is a different facet of doll collecting. And you see a bunch of crossover there. The baby Yoda is actually now its own little niche. I've even seen other people mention like cloth art dolls. Not these. Weird. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit strange, especially since their meaning and enjoyment is such a heavy crossover with a toy that's not necessarily meant to be played with, but to be enjoyed in other ways. And also, I would imagine, like, a lot of artists would serve both secondary markets at the same time in terms of, like, making clothes and accessories for these dolls. Yes, you would think that. And yet, I have yet to see it. Unless maybe I'm just not in the cooler circles where people are talking about it. Email us at takesreefpodcast at gmail.com. As you may have noticed, I am a doll sympathetic and I will not call you creepy or weird. So, generally speaking, identifying a boudoir doll is pretty easy. Because it will have, and I quote, real looking breasts? Yeah, it's looking at the doll and having overwhelmingly adult features is kind of easy to spot a difference. Being four feet tall? Yeah. So yeah, another thing you can look at is their size, where they run a spectrum with some of the smaller ones going from 14 to 18 inches to mid-range being 24 to 32, and then anywhere from that to my size, literally my size Barbie, around four or five feet tall. When you just kind of have a whole other roommate made out of composition. Yeah, they're big. They should be bigger than the average baby doll. And smarter than the average bear. They shouldn't be that. If that's your case, then you are... Haunted. In trouble. (laughs) You're haunted. You're extremely haunted. The Victorian Albert Museum has a boudoir doll that they claim has been cursed. (gasps) They offered no details as to what this curse did, I think because they themselves have experienced none of it. (laughs) 
this doll is cursed, no further details. It was pretty similar to that one Ouija board where someone was like, take this from me. Ah, I don't want it. It's cursed. It's got a ghost all up in. Ah, the Ouija board we saw at the Ouija board museum in Salem, Massachusetts, where we asked the proprietor of the museum why it was in a special case, and he explained it had just been mailed to him with no return address with a note saying it was cursed and to please get rid of it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Victoria and Alba had a pretty similar situation with their haunted boudoir doll. They did admit that it maybe could be haunted. They're not sure it's, you know, in a museum and they're not watching it all the time, so who knows. Another thing you can look for, a very characteristic and unlike most other dolls, is the elongated limbs. They've got very long, willowy limbs, and play dolls for children tend to have stubby little limbs. Like a children. Like a children, and easier for a children to play with. Most of them have a loosely constructed sort of hip joint, either kind of stitched at the waist or stitched in like a little leg shape so that they can be sat down. And other than that, yeah, if it looks like a smaller adult human, you are not buying a toy for a child anymore. (laughs) They weren't even just very fancy ladies. There were Charles Dickens characters and a variety of my favorite clowns. Oh no. (laughs) no. Usually Piero flesh-styled clowns. Take that out of context. Make that your ringtone. Sorry, flesh-styled clowns? I just said flesh-styled clowns instead of French-styled clowns. I mean, I'm sure someone out there is making flesh-styled clowns. I pray most clowns are made from flesh. Wait, what? No. You don't want clowns to be human, Ken? Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was thinking of more like a Frankenstein reconstruction made from flesh clown. That's way more horrifying, but yeah, that sucks too. No, you you are saying a being that was supposed to be flesh the entire time and then decided to become a clown. You know what? You've taken what I said and turned it into a horror story, so congratulations for that. (laughs) It's my brand. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there are actually some commercially made dude boudoir dolls. Not just the ones Rudolph Valentino had made. Not just the ones that are Rudolph Valentino. Quick point of order. Dude boudoir dolls. Doudoir dolls? Doudoir dolls. Thank you very, (laughs) yes, thank you. Usually they're pretty easy to date just from the makeup that their faces are painted with. Because they were fashion dolls, they'll match fashion pretty closely. Oh. You know, a 1920s flapper-style doll will be easy to spot in a crowd because she'll be painted up like a flapper. Sometimes, yes, with rouge Denise. Ooh, scandalous. Very. They're on the pricey side for my blood, although I've actually heard that in the antique doll collecting squad, they're considered sort of mid-grade, where a standard one would be somewhere around $250. Sorry, that's mid-grade? Yeah, this is a different kind of collector. This is when you start, like, getting into, like, people who collect bloodletting supplies and they say, 400, what a deal, kind of thing. Ah, one of these, okay. (laughs) Rare models that have wax heads or porcelain heads or made from silk are considered sort of like the exception to the rule. They can easily start outstripping $500. Yeah, I bet. And the gimmicky ones, especially the ones that are smoking, are usually around about 500 bucks. And that is the short, somewhat seedy history of the boudoir doll and how to tell them apart from regular dolls. The more you know. So yeah, if you thought doll people now were creepy, just imagine if they were taking a cloth-stuffed sack of a my-sized Barbie with them to the latest dance. Well, one, doll people aren't creepy, and two, that sounds like a good time. (laughs) 
If I'm going to be brutally honest with you, that sounds like a hoot and a holler. I'm just picturing motoring around in my brand new Ford and I look over and the lady in the next lane has a miniature replica of Clara Bow sitting shotgun. Clara Bow even. Clara Bow. What? You know what? You can say that both ways. It's not my fault that hers is only pronounced one way because it's her name. I was gonna say, I feel like this is a data from Star <laughs> Trek situation. Like, yes, the word could be pronounced data or data, but the name is data. Yes. <laughs> very, very, very that. <laughs> Sources for today include victoriantraditions.blogspot.com. Boudoir dolls are meant for sitting. <laughs> and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these dolls, they're going to sit all over you. Nope, Never mind, nope, weird. nope, nope. Roll it back, roll it back. Good, cut, cut. <laughs> uh, l- laurelleaf.com. Boudoir doll history. az-ps.com. Mother Christmas BDS history. Worthpoint.com. Boudoir dolls. Jazzageclub.com. The Boudoir doll craze. And jollyvolley.co.uk. Oh la la, the cheeky history of boudoir dolls. Dee, I just had a thunderbolt strike my brain. You know that, like, jazz 1920s dance that happens about once a year in this area? Yes, yes, I would really like to go again sometime. It would be very historically accurate for us to show up with boudoir dolls. It would, and as someone who sews, and also we have friends that sew, it would be fairly easy for us. Yeah, friends who sew, sculpt, and resin cast? Yeah, I feel like we can make this happen. I think we could work it out. Oh, what a delight to have a little one at a picnic, like a, a just a little fella. A little picnic friend. I want mine to be v- <laughs> Rudolfo Valentino. <laughs> Mine's going to be a stoned lesbian. I feel like I've already made that clear, but. <laughs> Dude, I get the feeling Rudolph Valentino to the sequel to Rudolph Valentino and stoned lesbian are going to get along famously. Absolutely. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, AntiquesFreaksBrigands, or you can tag us on Tumblr, AntiquesFreaks.tumblr.com. If you liked thinking about these dolls coming alive at the night and staring over your sleeping form, consider scrolling on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leaving us a review. I guarantee if you do that, that won't happen. Or if you are listening in an app that does not offer the review feature, consider telling a real friend or posting about it on social media. I appreciate that, although posting about it on social media gives me clout, so... <laughs> Dude, we can't pay our hosting fees with clout. <laughs> no, but clout can get us people who will pay our hosting fees. We do pay our hosting fees with sales through our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks, where you can find a wide variety of vintage goods and t-shirts and stickers with the podcast logo on them. Or you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where we are chapter by chapter reading and reviewing the Victorian Petty Dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. Do you need more Antiques Freaks to binge? Head on over to patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where there are 60 plus episodes waiting for you. Ooh la la. Sacre bleu. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.